Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic. We are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform for the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Like, for example, you're about to hear Mr. Bob L. today sitting right across from me here. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Keep in mind, we welcome all your comments, and you can contact us in a couple of different ways. You can go to SoberSpeak.com. By the way, when you go to SoberSpeak.com, you will see all the back episodes. But if you want to send us a message, you could do it in one or two ways. You can either click on the contact us tab and send an email to feedback at soberspeak.com or there's an icon on the on that page contact us tab a microphone icon and you can actually click on that and leave us a voice message we'd love to hear from you please remember we do not speak for aa or any 12-step community we represent only ourselves We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want. Leave the rest at the curb. This episode with Mr. Bob L. is brought to you by Mr. AJ. AJ went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. Thank you, AJ, for your generous contribution. AJ, this episode is for you. Just in case you didn't catch our last episode, it was with Mr. Dave E. And Dave E.'s uh, episode is entitled... Man plans and God laughs. I think I have that right. I could be slightly off, but it was absolutely an incredible uh, episode. Uh, Go back and listen to that one if you didn't have a chance to. Just a couple of program notes here. I have entered into the world of Twitter. I should say SoberSpeak as a whole. Uh, our, Our handle, if you'd like to follow us there, is at sober underscore speak. Uh, and for those of you who would like to listen to us on YouTube, keep in mind we are available there. A lot of people don't like to go download players, uh, and you can follow us on YouTube. Uh, we will also have listener feedback at the end of this episode, but that's enough of that. Let's dive into this episode with Mr. Bob L. And this is kind of a special one for me. Say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, a special one for me in that the man sitting across from me right now I have known uh for my entire sobriety and I don't think I've ever actually said it on the program but my sobriety date is uh May 29th of 1989 and uh I met this man uh, he is my sponsor. He continues to be my sponsor today. I tell him that he's my temporary sponsor. <laughs> I said that the other day. He said, "You better start a. You better adopt me as your full time sponsor before I die, John." Right? Uh, but uh, so Bob, when I came in, he had what I wanted. He had a uh, eleven cars. Excuse me. He had eleven houses in a Corvette. And a beautiful wife, everything that I wanted. And we'll get into some of that as we go through the podcast here. But let's go ahead and uh, let Bob read something now that he brought in. And this is from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. By the way, Bob, before you get started, why don't you identify yourself and your sobriety date so the listeners are aware of that? Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me here. I'm Bob. I'm alcoholic. I've uh, been sober since September 1984, by the grace of God. And, you know, I got to dis- do my disclaimer here, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, by no means do I represent Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step program, just as your uh, podcast. So uh, it was hard to choose what I'd like to read, but I found this reading uh, from page 45 in the big book. 
lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But when and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main objective is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. Okay, well, that's a that's an incredible reading there. So let's let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit. First of all, out of everything that you could have read, you pick that one. What stands out to you regarding that reading? Well, um, John, I'll tell you how I've picked this reading was it's on the wall at the friendship group. They have a big sign with this reading on there. And you think after 34 years of hanging around, I'd noticed everything. But about a year ago, I noticed that. And I thought, you know, I'm going to that page and look at that reading Uh, And what stood out is that it tells us exactly why they wrote the big book. They didn't say, we're writing a book here to show you how not to drink. They say, we wrote a book here to show you how to find a power greater than yourself. Uh, And that's the part that stood out to me. And I thought, oh, I like that. Right. You know? Uh, when you've been around as long as I have and you're as old as I am, John, you continually realize you're not as smart as you thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not that old, and you uh, act very young, by the way. So, uh, Okay, so let's, um, let's go back to the beginning for just a second. I, I mean, obviously, we want to get up to where you recovered and you got into Alcoholics Anonymous and such, but uh, you and I have... Uh, I, I wouldn't say exact backgrounds, but we have some similarities, right? We both grew up in a uh, with a tumultuous type of uh, um, uh, childhood. So, why don't you share with the audience whatever you want to share with about your upbringing? And gosh, I guess I would tell you that um, I've been in Dallas, Texas, all my life, uh, and that I grew up with uh, heavy, heavy drinkers. Uh, you know, I guess you might call them alcoholics, but uh, they never called themselves that. So mm-hmm. around my house, you never knew when you came in the door if you were going to get a hug or a lamp was going to be tossed <laughs> across the room. So a lot of adrenaline in that household, and I'm not complaining about it, but that's just the way it was. Uh, in our house, uh, in the kitchen, there was always a gallon not a fifth, <laughs> but a gallon of old crow whiskey and some glasses, you know, and beer in the icebox. And uh, that's the way it was. Uh, I grew up uh, in southeast Dallas, uh, and it was a little town when we first moved there called Pleasant Mound, Texas. Had about 800 people. So remember, we're back in the 40s when we moved there, late 40s, and growing up in the 50s. So it's a long time ago. Most of you listening to this weren't even born then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you did, you know, it was your saying, uh, most of you listening weren't even born then. But I've noticed, you know, you have started, you've told me about you're listening to more podcasts lately. And, oh. and it would be kind of a younger thing. But oh, yeah. I think more and more people are listening to podcasts. Oh, my gosh. We? When uh, when you told me about podcast, uh, I thought, wait a minute, what is that? And so I got into podcast, you know, and I thought, man, I love these things. You know, uh, I had the the original little problem with me doing it because I wanted to make sure you distanced yourself from Alcoholics Anonymous and you certainly handled that. But I love these podcasts. I have learned so much by listening to them. Uh, and then I got into some podcasts. Uh, you know, I'm a long-distance walker. I walk four to five miles every day at a good clip. That's how I keep this muscle body. You see. They, they can't see us. They yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Yeah, so. How you're uh, stealth, yeah, right? So uh, I listen to podcasts now, uh, and I got into some original 
Bill Wilson tapes, or I call them tapes, podcasts mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have. So, yeah, I love them, man. That's great. You yep. can teach a, uh, and I'm not calling you an old dog, but yeah. you can teach an old dog new tricks Heck sometimes. Yeah, like I say, I continue to realize I'm not as smart as I thought I was, you know. <laughs> we all have to continue to grow, don't we? Yeah. All right, so that was kind of a, uh, I guess, a thumbnail sketch of your, your childhood. By the way, did you ever dip into that gallon of uh, old crow? No. No, uh, I didn't drink um, when I was in high school at all, John. Um, Now, my grandfather, okay, uh, would call us into his office, which there were six of us, by the way. He would call us into his office, which was really just an old shed in the backyard, and we'd all have a drink. And he would pour out bourbon, you know, and he'd pour us a shot glass full of it. And it's kind of interesting to note that... The rest of the kids, he'd say, here, have a shot with me. You know, he was alcoholic, too. And uh, everybody would down their shot, and most everybody spit it out except me. I swallowed the whole thing and put my glass back up there. So uh, I liked alcohol right away, you know. Uh, but I didn't drink in high school because I didn't hang around with the kids that did. But more important than that, I didn't want to be like my parents, man. You know, I did not want to be. I could see the the damage that alcohol did in our house right away. Uh, I saw a nice, loving, caring home without alcohol. And when everybody started drinking, uh, it turned into arguments and fights and lampshades being thrown. Lampshades <laughs> being thrown and lamps and arguments. So, and I didn't want to live like that. So I didn't drink in high school. Gotcha. So I know, by the way, I want to thank you uh, for your service to our country. Thank you. And I realized that you went into the service at some point after you graduated there. I did. So talk about that experience. I did. Uh, Quite frankly, uh, my grades were too bad, uh, and I wasn't smart enough to, you know, be off to college. But more important than that, in 1963, we had to draft. Now, if you don't know what the draft is, uh, you didn't have a choice. A little uh, history lesson. Yeah, you were going to get drafted well, whether you wanted to go into the service or not. If your number came up, they drafted you. So, And was it, it was random, right? Uh, uh, it was random, num- yeah. But uh, as the Vietnam War escalated, uh, the randomness got less. So uh, I knew I was going to get drafted. So I had no intention intention uh of being in the military but uh i joined uh, i graduated from high school at 17 so uh at 17 years old i went off to the navy wow. and joined the navy and how long were you in the navy i was in the navy almost four years okay. believe me not any longer than i had to be <laughs> <laughs> and that though i believe was some sort of launching pad into the career that you ended up working well for? well it, it is um as you know i've been in the explosives business uh commercial explosives military explosives all my life retired from it and uh that's where i learned my trade uh, was in the navy i was uh, an explosives guy so but interesting to note. And by the way, let me just point out, Bob still has all his toes and fingers. And <laughs> That's right. He got through that unscathed for many years. Uh, it turned out to be a good career for me. Uh, and uh, But I got you off path. You said interesting enough. Interesting enough, the first time I had anything of quantity to drink was the night before I left for the service. Um my friend uh, and I got together, and my parents bought us, and I don't know what possessed them, a half gallon of Mogan David wine, you know. <laughs> and trust me on this, that's not the way to begin your <laughs> drinking career. And see if you can identify with this. Um, we drank the whole bottle. Yeah, the whole thing. Ron and I drank it all. So the next morning I was sick, and... Uh, went off to boot camp and swore off of that stuff forever. You know, I'm not ever going to do that again. So uh, that's the first time that I drank a lot, but noticed I drank all there was. You know, if there had been two gallons, I'd have probably <laughs> right. drank that too, you know. So that's the way it was. All right. So 
you get through the service then and talk a, bit, a little bit about your career. Yeah, well, um, I didn't drink much in the service. Uh, I started drinking. Uh, I like to, when we were on shore, uh, I like to uh, drink beer and shoot pool with the guys, man, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a good time doing that. Uh, and, you know, I didn't get drunk every time I drank. Then I had some control of it. But it began that process of getting alcohol in my system. Uh, and I slowly started drinking more and more, you know. And uh, when I got out of the service and came home, uh, I expected uh, for everybody to bow down to the hero and all, and it just wasn't that way. You know, uh, during Vietnam, it was questionable whether we were there or not. So uh, it wasn't like it was now uh, when we were welcome home as heroes. Uh, As it should be. Yeah, it was just kind of like we were whatever, but we it just wasn't what was wasn't you know we're talking 55 years ago so it doesn't matter today but we're talking about when did you start drinking and when i got home um i started going to bars and like i said i like to drink beer and shoot pool uh and the worst kind of bar uh there was that's where i like to do my drinking i like to drink with uh, blue collared people, and uh, those are the kind of places I I drank in. I mean, uh, I drank over on Samuel Boulevard uh, in the places that uh, were rough places, and that's that's who I like to hang out with. The low denominator. That's right. And uh, I was ever a bit of twenty one years old, not quite when I got out of the service, so still young. Uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and really didn't care, really didn't want to work, you know? Um, so that, that was that, that was that. All right. So then at some point, um, and I know part of the story, I don't know all of the story here, but I know you met a lovely young lady, uh, and you ended up getting married. What age was that? I did. I finally decided to get married. I met a lady, um, and uh, I was 24 years old, uh, and she was 31, older than me, mm. uh, which was a good thing. Uh, and I stayed married to that lady for 37 years uh, through, once again, the grace of God. You know, she should have left me, didn't. <laughs> so. so she was there through all your uh, escapades. That's if you right. Will. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, John, if, if you've talked to me before, you know I call myself a high-bottom drunk. Um, I started drinking as my business career progressed. The drinking became more and more. Uh, I like to have a good time. Uh, I hear people now say all the time, uh, I like to change my feelings when I drink, either I was too insensitive to know that or just never realized what I was doing, but I like to have a good time. (laughs) Right. I drank because I like to have a good time. You know, when it was all over, I thought, well, I guess that's ended. You know, let's loosen up a little here. Yeah, that's the way it was. So uh, the first good job I ever got uh, was uh, selling refrigerated dough products. Those are Cam Biscuits, by the way. <laughs> the store's brand. And they gave me a company car and an expense account, right? And sent me to East Texas and said, sell these biscuits to the grocery store chains. You know, and I thought, oh my gosh. And they said, you're going to have to do a lot of entertaining and you'll be out late. You know, can you do that? And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm heaven. Heaven is here now. You know, uh, I'm getting paid and, for this. Yeah. And oh my gosh, was I good at that? You know, I mean, I was a natural, uh, I was just a natural salesman like you are. I, I was, just, it's what I was born to be, you know? Mm. So, uh, I had a ball but I started drinking more and more, but I wasn't drinking alcoholically yet. You know, uh, I could still control it. So, um, as that career progressed, okay, 
uh, I got promoted. Uh, I went to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I was what you call a division manager then with that company, large company. Uh, and I had people answering to me. And at that point, with my ego, I thought, you know, I'm God's gift to business. I have arrived. And I kind of pulled out all the stops then. I started drinking as much as I wanted whenever I wanted. Uh, At this time, I was about 29, 30 years old, just a punk, you know. And uh, (laughs) I started drinking more and more and more. Uh, and that's when I crossed over the line. They, you know, I think the big book tells us there's a point where we cross from normal drinking, if there is normal drinking, into alcoholic drinking. And that's when I crossed that line. Having a great time, though. Right. So you crossed the line. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so what kind of, what tipped the scales? What brought you into AA? Well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I ended up in the explosives business a couple years after. The company I worked for then uh, fired me. It was the only time I've ever been fired in my life, Uh, but they fired me. I mean, um, I was just... uh, drinking most of the time under the guise of entertaining people. And I was entertaining people, uh, and, uh, office politics, blah, blah. And anyway, they fired me. Uh, and so I knew a man that was in the explosives business at that time, commercial explosives. And, uh, I was helping him with some stuff, and he asked me where I learned about explosives, and I said, in the Navy, man, you know? And he said, gosh, we need people. And I said, well, I'll talk to you. Uh, And that was 40 years ago, and uh, as you know, I spent uh, 25 years with the same company and Mm -hmm. eventually got up to where I was running several companies, and uh, the drinking continued Okay, I had been in the explosives business for approximately five years uh, and doing well. Uh, I think I was manager of technical services or something at the time. Uh, and one night I was uh, had about a fifth of gin to drink and was at my secretary and her husband's house, uh, drunker than a skunk. Uh, and... You know, I'd always been associated with law enforcement. That's part of our industry. So I knew a lot of people, and I thought, if I ever get picked up on a DWI, I'll just tell them who I am, and they'll let me go, because they know I know a lot of police officers and uh, ATF people and FBI people. So I'm leaving from her house, had a fight with her husband uh, (laughs) that night. He accused me of running around with his wife i'll let that be a mystery but i was a full-blown alcoholic at that time so you can read between the lines i'm in uh lake park uh, is over by the friendship group i'm on a soccer field in a four-wheel drive vehicle right playing soccer on the field in my truck yeah did you win (laughs) didn't the game got (laughs) discouraged you know uh, the game got interrupted by some law by enforcement. The they, they could yeah. not take a joke and frowned on goodness. this. Yeah, and uh, and arrested me. Uh, and at the time, I thought this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Uh, and that really turns out to be the best thing. Uh, and I'm um, assuming be, doing the job that you were doing to be arrested like that is put you in peril without a doubt oh it did i did i thought that i would lose my my job for sure and uh because i wasn't a company vehicle uh and i thought i'd lose my wife for sure uh and i really didn't care that much about that but i needed that job Uh, so I told them who I was and they weren't very impressed at all I can still remember the handcuffs uh, on me and leaning up against the uh, the car and feeling the heat of the radiator you know coming through and I thought 
I'm going to jail. They're they're putting me in jail. <laughs> don't they know uh, who you yeah. are? Don't they realize? So uh, they put me in the Louisville jail. And uh, and for those of you listening around the world, this is Louisville, Texas. It's a suburb of Dallas. Well, that's right. I forget. You've got people everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a small little town north of Dallas, or used to be small. Um, so I'm in the Louisville jail. Uh, and here's where, where God comes into this, John. Uh, I hated jail. It's dirty, <laughs> nasty. I don't like bologna sandwiches. <laughs> And they didn't treat me in the manner I'm accustomed to. So I hated it. And that night in jail, it occurred to me, just as clear as day, I'm an alcoholic. You know, I drink all day, you know. Uh, I'm out until 2 or 3 o'clock every morning, uh, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, And by the way... I had quit drinking once. Um, if you wanted to title this story, you could title it, I can quit anytime I want. <laughs> and I did one time. Uh, when I was about, uh, I don't know, 31 or 32, uh, my wife said, Bob, you are coming in at 2.30 or 3 o'clock every morning. You're out almost every night. We can't live like this, and I don't want to live like this. You've got to stop. And so I said, she couldn't take a joke either, by the way. Uh, I said, okay, I will. I'll stop. And you think, well, did you? Yes, I did. Well, how long did that last? You know, well, it lasted five years. I quit for five years. Uh, I didn't go to church. I wouldn't have been caught dead in a church at that stage of my life. Uh, I didn't go to AA because I didn't know about AA. I just quit. Uh, and I became... A compulsive runner. Mm. I ran six or eight miles and I became a workaholic. You know, that part was good because I worked a lot and, and did well. So <laughs> it was good. You became a workaholic. Yeah. And made some money, right? So I'm five years not drinking, you know, not wanting to drink uh, and just a turd, you know. Uh, I would get mad. You never knew when I was going to blow up uh, and get angry at you. Uh, I didn't get along with anybody. That soon, uh, you know, changed. But it it was just miserable. So one night I was in Vail, Colorado, and uh, with the family, uh, and they said, hey, why don't you have a drink, Bob? You know, you hadn't had a drink in years. Why don't you have a beer? You know, they're probably just tired of dealing with me. So I did. I got a beer at Safeway. My sister still has the bottle. It was a fancy big bottle of beer, uh, and I drank that. But I guess the part I want you to know is this, man. Here's that physical symptom. When I popped that beer open, took a big, long swig of that dark beer, when that alcohol hit me, every muscle in my body relaxed. Mm -hmm. And I thought, why in the heck did I ever quit drinking? That was dumb. (laughs) You know, that was my logic. It was. (laughs) So uh, it wasn't long after that I was back out there again, you know, back out till the 2, 3 o'clock in the morning nights and drinking on the road and just doing a lot of stuff that – you know, I shouldn't have been doing at the time. So that's the way it was. All right. That's a good uh, time for a pause here. I'm going to do a little uh, little announcement. Uh, we'll be continuing our conversation with Mr. Bob L. in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if And only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. uh, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Okay, now back to Mr. Bob L. All right, so... Let's go back to the piece where you got arrested. You don't. You're in jail. Yes, you, we left me in jail eating bologna sandwiches. Yeah. 
<laughs> you didn't particularly care didn't for like that. It. You didn't I like realize that night that I was an alcoholic. Uh, Mimi, that was my wife, uh, bailed me out, uh, and she was really mad. Uh, she said, "If you don't uh, quit drinking, I'm leaving." Uh, and I said, hey, don't worry. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm going to go to that Alcoholics Anonymous deal. How do you know? How did you know? Do you remember how you knew about I AA? I do. I knew about AA. This is quite spiritual. Uh, I knew about AA because there was a TV show called Hill Street Blues, and the detective on Hill Street Blues was in AA. And I figured his name was Ferrillo, and if it was good enough for Ferrillo, it was good enough for me. And that's all I knew. John, I didn't know about treatment. I really didn't. Or, you know, I worked for a large company. They would have sent me, and I could have used the time off, or I'd have gone to treatment. So that's how I knew about AA. So <laughs> Ferrillo. Yeah. So I called the intergroup. God bless the people at intergroup. Lady answers the phone and I say, Hey, I think I'm an alcoholic and I need a one of those AA groups to go to. And, you know, I'm kind of half crying and whining. And she said, well, Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. And I thought, well, I'm not that bad, but I'm going to go. She said, you don't sound like you need treatment. And I said, I don't know what that is, but I want to know. <laughs> so they, this is 1984, uh, they sent me to the Carrollton Group. And, uh, and that place is hard to find. It was the then. And yeah. I tell people this now. People complain, well, it's still hard to find. We had to get on our cell phone uh, and call up and, and see what directions. And I tell them that, well, we didn't have cell phones when I came here. I had to get in a phone booth, you know, two different times to call up to get redirected to the group. You really have to have a desire to quit drinking. That's the truth, John. And, uh, and you know, we joke about it, but I did. Oh, my gosh, I wanted to quit drinking bad. I'd have done anything, anything they told me to do. Uh, you know, I... Uh, I did go to the meeting that night, told him I was an alcoholic and I wanted to quit drinking. Uh, a big old tall skinny guy came up to me and said, I'll be your temporary sponsor. And he wrote his number in the book and said, call me. And I thought, fat chance, I'm not going <laughs> to call you. And I didn't know whether I liked it or not. One thing. There was only, the Carrollton Group was new then. I was, uh, if not the first person, one of the first people that they got sober. Mm. Uh, wow. So uh, we had uh, a lot of sober people, and nobody had more than eight or nine years in that group. But, mm. you know, eight or nine years to a newcomer was a lot of sobriety, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I didn't know whether I was going to come back, but I was at the coffee pot, uh on the way out, uh, getting a half a cup of coffee to take with me. And a lady just put her hand on my shoulder and said, come back. We want you back here. And that's all it took. So, uh, do you remember who that lady was? No, I gotcha. really don't. We'd only had one lady or two ladies. So, but I really don't remember. I was too foggy headed at that point. Uh, but I got that sponsor, uh, and he told me, uh, was that Mr. Uh, Jerry? Is yeah, that right? Jerry C. was a sponsor. I think he's one of the founders of the Friendship Group, if I'm not. I haven't seen Jerry in years. Um, still, He's still sober. Uh, so I just kept going to meetings. They said go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, I probably did more than that. I traveled. So... Uh, like yourself, I've been to meetings all over this country. By the grace of God, there's meetings everywhere, and I went. So, uh, and I did start working the steps immediately, uh, and eventually, uh, I started calling him, uh, and uh, I became part of that that Carrollton group. Um, and one of the things Jerry told me that that got me started right away is he told me now, son, if you're going to stay sober, you're going to have to get on your knees and, and ask God to not let you drink. And I said, 
a fellow, I got a problem with that. You know, I don't really uh, believe in God much. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm agnostic at best. Yeah, that's a conflict, right? That's there. right. Yeah, there's a conflict here. So he said, I'll tell you what, will you go home and get on your knees and pray that you can believe in God? And it, John, if he'd have told me to go on the freeway with a yellow t shirt and sell Bibles, I'd have done that. I wanted to get sober, man. More than that, I wanted to change that stinky life I had. Gosh. Anyway, so I go home that night. I get on my knees by the bed. I take the bedspread and cover myself up so my wife doesn't see me <laughs> praying, you know. Uh, but I asked God sincerely, you know, the God I didn't believe in, that's how bad off I was, to, can I believe? I want to believe. I want to believe. And today I know what I did is I opened up the door. And I just opened up that door that's referred to in the big book a little bit. And the rest came uh, for me uh, of an educational variety uh, as I grew in the steps and in the program, my God grew. Uh, and eventually I remember I was leading a Bible study. Uh, now there's a miracle. And I thought, you know, you have come from a non-believer to this, Bob. This is what the program has done for you. Uh, and you know me, John. I've told you getting sober for me was a piece of cake. That's the easy part. I have never really considered having a drink seriously since I walked in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. But changing my life, oh my gosh, that was difficult. That was difficult. You know, I had the morals of a sewer rat. And <laughs> anything that felt good, I did. Uh, and I just didn't really know how to, to live life. So, uh, you know, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous to stay sober. Uh, I never forget that, uh, to not take a drink. But along the way, I learned how to live life and found a, a God of my understanding. So you've got me thinking about meeting a sewer rat now and uh, how, <laughs> yeah. that, how that conversation may go. All right, so I want to um, make sure that we um, um, cover your relationship with your first wife, Mimi, who you've already referenced, mm -hmm. uh, uh, because I know that was a 37-year marriage. And why don't you explain, um, just talk about that story a little bit, and then how Alcoholics Anonymous helped you through that situation. I, I would like to talk about that, John. Thank you for asking about that. Um, so I'm married. I'd been married uh, probably about, uh, I don't know, 16, 15, 16 years when I came into the program. Um, and, uh, she was glad that I came into the program. Uh, she encouraged me to go to meetings, uh, all I wanted. And at one point she said, you know, she was pretty healthy. She said, your, uh, your drinking problem's your problem. It's not my problem. You go do what you need to do. So I did. So I got involved in the program and then Mimi got involved in the program too, uh, on Friday nights, we had a family after meeting, kind of like the one uh, at another group in town where the Al-Anons come and the AAs come, and she got involved in that, uh, and we started dealing with our uh, our marriage, you know, and we did that by hearing other uh, couples that had alcoholic husbands and wives in their families and uh, listened to them, did meetings with them. And uh, eventually, you know, we, our marriage got into recovery as well. Uh, and she went to Al-Anon uh, and I went to AA and that, that worked for us. Um, as you know, uh, when I was 20 years sober uh, and we had been married 37 years uh, and I thought, Gosh, life is good, man. This is really, I am loving life. We had all the money we needed. We were traveling all over the world. And I thought, uh, this is what it's all about. Uh, Mimi came down with cancer, uh, and we fought that for five years. And then um, <clears throat> when uh, she'd uh, fought it for about five years and uh, – 
as you know, she passed away after we'd been married for 37 years. And you, I think I, I, I'm not sure how, I think I was 59 years old at that time. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, man, life is over for me. I can remember telling my sponsor, Jack, at the time, Jack, life is over for me. And he said one thing that I haven't forgotten. He said, Bob, your life is not over by any means, and I want to hear all the details. Uh, but it was really a low, low point uh, in my life. Uh, I had never really grieved before, uh, and I didn't know how to do it. I mean, I would find myself just sobbing uncontrollably, uh, and I thought, there's something wrong with me, man. Something serious wrong with me. Uh, so one of my neighbors made me go to a grief seminar. Uh, and by the way, I had been going to meetings all of this time. All those years I had been going to meetings. Uh, I have never not gone to meetings. Uh, you know, I, I tell people I may be alcoholic, but I'm not stupid. I know what happens <laughs> to people that don't go to meetings. They get depressed and they get drunk, and I'm not going to be one of them. So uh, getting me through that grief involved some seminars uh, that I went to, but it more importantly involved uh, the group to lean on, uh, going to meetings. Uh, I used to pray that someone I sponsored would call me with a problem, you know, so I could take my mind off of my own problems. Uh, I got good advice. The advice was, Bob, grieve grieve hard and as you did with your mother john uh, i grieved hard oh my gosh did i grieve hard uh and everybody kept telling me you can't go around grief you can't go over grief you can't go under grief duh you gotta go through it so uh, i grieved uh and just about the time I was thinking I was better, uh, I had read that, well, most people grieve from two to five years. And I thought, well, I'm spiritually advanced, you know, <laughs> I'll uh, do two years and be fine. Thank you very much. Uh, that's not the way it worked with me. Uh, I grieved uh, two years and I thought I was getting better. And, you know, uh, I I wasn't. But it's important that I tell you this. I never once thought about taking a drink. That wasn't an option, you know. Uh, I just was sad. Uh, my grief came out as anger. So, uh, you know, uh, I would explode from time to time. Uh, and that's the way it came out. But I did it, you know. I did it with the help of uh, my friends and all. Uh, I grieved. And... I know that you said it came out as anger, but I, you know, saw you working through a lot of that as well. And uh, I would say that uh, it 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 also came out as just pure grief. And like you said, you went through it. You kept, I mean, a lot of times it was tears and it was uh, just pushing through it. I remember you would get uh, photographs out uh, of Mimi to... Um, just to make sure that you grieved properly, if you will. Yeah, I did it by the book, and uh, I, uh, I, I've never been to a psychologist, by the way. You might think, maybe this is a good time to start, Bob, but I, I haven't. But I had one that's a good friend, uh, and Dr. Beverly told me. She said, Bob, uh, you know, because I asked her, I said, do you think I need counseling? And she said, no, you're going to AA. You have a program. You know, you're going to grief seminars. Just grieve, you know. So uh, that's the way I did it, and it was important that I do it. And I had friends like you. Gosh, you drug me down to Austin to go to church with you down uh, when your uh, mother-in-law was a minister down there, and you and Shannon had me over for dinner when you probably didn't want me. So I had friends <laughs> and family. I have a lot of family, uh, and her family kept me too. But going to meetings – uh, and staying sober was one of the things I did. Um, you know, I want to bring up an incident here that was a, a major impact in my sobriety. And it's just kind of a, I, I guess, uh, uh, 
incident, or uh, let me just describe it and tell you what happened. So I was newly sober. I'd say I was within my first year of sobriety, and you and Mimi would have me over to the house on a consistent basis. I would get to see how, quote, normal people lived, right? We would just have dinner. We would have some conversation. Uh, but there was one time I came over to your house, and we went out and... Uh, the back to get in your truck. And it was a truck that you parked outside under a little carport. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, we got in and the doors had been unlocked. You had left the doors unlocked that night. And uh, you looked in your car and you realized that a very nice camera had been Stolen? Do you do you remember this? Sure. One? Okay. Well, I remember. So my impression of it was is that you said you looked in there, you realized that really nice camera had been stolen, and you looked over at me and you go, "Wow, I really like that camera." And then you put it in reverse and you backed up. Now, for me at the time, that was uh, monumental. In other words. nobody banged on the dash. You didn't start, you know, calling the police. We weren't running around like chickens with our head cut off trying to figure out where it was. You'd realize that that camera was gone. You probably shouldn't have left your door unlocked and you were going on in life. Uh, Once again, not, you know, not an earth-shattering experience, but for me and my memory, that really, really stuck with me. Uh, And I remember it to this day. Well, I think life is just full of the little experiences like that, that, that we think, oh gosh, I never thought of that, you know, still that way for me. I continually find things that, uh, I thought were true that aren't, Mm -hmm. uh, I continually find that I'm wired backwards, you know, (laughs) what I think's going on usually isn't. And you say, well, have you recovered any? Yeah, man. Cause I used to not know that the difference is I know it now. So I don't react, you know, uh, I know that nobody gets up in the morning to mess my day up. You know, you don't care about me that much. So uh, in my mind, if I think someone's aggravating me, they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly when you've been around as long as I have and you have the kind of friends I have, I learned that my friends would never do anything to intentionally hurt my feelings. They just wouldn't, you know, but I'm wired backwards. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> All right. So uh, we talked about Mimi and uh, everything with that death and such. And but I want to. I also want to kind of go forward. I know more about your family life. In other words, I know that you now have another beautiful wife. <laughs> I <And do>. So <laughs> how you got that lucky? I'm not sure. I did. I loved. I loved to tell this story. Um, I lived by myself in that big house I live in for seven years. Uh, one, because I kind of liked it, you know, uh, and two, uh, to prove that I could live by myself. I mean, I had not lived by myself since I was 24 years old. So I spent seven years there uh, by myself uh, and swore I'd never get married. You know, that was my mantra. I'm having too much fun. You know, I had a Mercedes convertible. I was riding around when I was having a ball. Uh, and then uh, a lady that I knew in high school. Uh, and that I got reacquainted with through a uh, a reunion type thing from a church uh, called me and said, "Hey, uh, I work at a uh, private school and uh, I'm chaperoning a basketball game, and would you like to chaperone that basketball game with me and dance afterwards?" And I said. Yeah, that'd be great. So uh, we went there and just got to tell you, John, when I picked her up at her house that night, she had on this black dress, right? I looked at her and I've never really seriously looked at another woman since. then. I had learned something, though, along the way here again in Alcoholics Anonymous, watching and listening. uh I didn't want to rush into things, so I didn't rush into things. We uh, we dated for four years. Uh, this was a lady that I had. We had been high school sweethearts uh, over in Southeast Dallas, uh, and had known each other all our lives. Uh, 
She was a non-drinking, Bible-toting, uh, non-cussing woman uh, that was interested in this animal, Bob. <laughs> and uh, seven years ago, we got married. Uh, and uh, since we've been married, it's just been wonderful. It really has. She has uh, two daughters, so I have grandchildren now, and my family likes her. And uh, also, uh, one of the things that I told her when I uh, met her early on was that I was an alcoholic. Uh, and she said, do you still drink? And I said, no, no, I hadn't drank in, I think it was 30 years, then I lost track of, of that. No, less than that. Uh, anyway... Uh, I said, but I got to tell you this, Alcoholics Anonymous is the most important thing in my life, bar none. And uh, there'll be times when I'll sacrifice time with you uh, for Alcoholics Anonymous, because if I don't go there, I'll drink again. I watch people do it. And if I drink again, my life's over. So she knew that right up front. Uh, So now... Uh, after we'd been married for, oh, I don't know, five years, uh, she started going to Al-Anon, not because she was married to me, but because she was beginning to hang around some people that did. By the way, Evelyn doesn't drink. Uh, she doesn't even like it in the house. Isn't that weird? I mean, <laughs> I kept wine for people in the house, but she doesn't like it in the house. So uh, she started going to Al-Anon, and she goes to Al-Anon now, and I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, it's uh, God has once again blessed me uh, with a life that's uh, beyond all the dreams that's, that I ever had. That's great. That's great. I want to talk about sponsorship a little bit. In other words, I know that you have, including myself, you sponsored a lot of guys throughout your uh, tenure, if you will, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Tell me what you think is important about it, what you've learned from it. Um, Just share your thoughts. Well, the first thing, John, that pops into my mind is our primary purpose at Alcoholics Anonymous. In other words, what we do is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. That's what we're about. Uh, I don't see how you can do that if you're going to one or two meetings a week, you know? So with that in mind, I've always gone to four or five meetings a week. When I worked, I'd go at noon, uh, and sometimes I'd go at night. Kind of like you. You've always gone to meetings as well. You've never taken a vacation. So that led me to uh, sponsor a lot of people. Not that I worked that great a program, uh, but I was there. Uh, and those are the people that sponsor the most people that, in my reality anyway, you're there. So uh, I've sponsored a lot of people. I've sponsored you for, well, temporary, for 29 (laughs) years now. Uh, And I I think, John, I could use you as an example of what the 12 steps have given us. I mean, I've been at both of your children's birth, one of your marriages, one of your divorces, both of your marriages, excuse me, one of your divorces. And, you know, you've kind of become the son that I never had. And we've done that through the program, you know. Uh, And uh, I have other people that I've sponsored. But and you hear this in meetings sometimes and you don't get the impact. Uh, The growth of Alcoholics Anonymous will be from the newcomers. It won't be from the old timers like me. Uh, We need new people. Uh, and we need good sponsors for those new people who steer them towards the steps uh, and towards recovery uh, and towards sobriety. Uh, so, you know, and I've been in the Carrollton group now for nearly 34 years. Uh, I left a little while to start the new freedom group with some people, but came back. So um, it's important that I have a home group for me. You know, if if you're listening to this and you do it another way, fine, if that works for you. But the way it works for me is I have a home group. There's a group of men there that I'm responsible to. 
I am responsible to a group of men. And you say, well, what does that mean? That means that if I'm talking forever, you know, being the old timer in the meeting that is uh, preaching and going on forever, they have my permission to come up to me and say, Bob, why don't you quiet down a little bit? You know, there's (laughs) nothing that's so important that you have to say that you can't say in one or two minutes. Uh, And it also, when I'm feeling down, they know it. They know it. You know, I can't fool them. Uh, they are the group of guys that I get together with and uh, complain about uh, members of the family that I'm not doing well with. Uh, And they say, uh, you know, that's about you, Bob. And I say, I know, but I need to tell you this so I won't go tell them, you know, (laughs) and they understand that. So, uh, and I have a sponsor uh, and I don't have to call my sponsor because I see him three or four times a week, man. Uh, and if I have a problem, uh, that I don't discuss with one of my friends, uh, I'll go and, uh, tell my sponsor about it. Uh, we're the same age. He's been sober for like 40 years. So, uh, we have a lot in common. Uh, and, and that works for me, you know, it's just the program, right? That's right. Well, Bob, we have come to the end of the hour here, believe it or not. Is there anything that you want to add before we take off? Uh, No, I want to add this, that I love these podcasts. I am humbled that you asked me to do one of them. And I have not said one cuss word through this entire that thing, John. That is a miracle. Yes, that's a miracle. <laughs> the old Bob would have said, I don't care if it offends you or not. It's the way I speak. But anyway, we've done that. And uh, I thank you for having me here. God bless you, Bob. Thanks for being here. All right. So I'm going to read a couple things from a listener feedback here. Uh, says from Shannon C. Shannon C. says... I'm really enjoying the podcast, John, with a little exclamation point. I listened to the latest, uh, Chris Yu, which is episode number 35, and Angry Atheist, that's uh, Jenny from episode number 28, and I'm in the middle of the interview with your wife, whose name happens to also be uh, uh, Shannon C., or happens to be Shannon. Uh, She says, love your interview style, my friend. Thank you for the fab podcast. Well, thank you, Shannon C., so much for writing in. Uh, we'd l- I'd love to hear these comments. These emails just make my day, you know. Um, this is a uh, labor of love, and i uh, love to hear from you guys. So, uh, also says uh, from AJ, writes in, loving the podcast with a little exclamation point. Keep up the great work. Once again, uh, exclamation point. Dan wrote in and he said, loved, love the Crested Butte uh, episode. I now have another reason to go. Uh, so uh, you, uh, th- that's episode number 32 where myself and Steve G discuss our experience at the mountain of Crested Butte, Colorado and the Crested Butte conference there. Um, feel free to listen in on that one. And I had another uh, write-in from Mr. Dave. Dave wrote in, and he said, just listen to David G's episode. By the way, that's episode number six. Um, you know, we've got a lot of new listeners lately, and sometimes they don't go back into the uh, archives, if you will. And that is episode number six. The name of that episode is Billy Graham and Ted Nugent. Yes, Billy Graham and Ted Nugent, and this happened actually before I recorded this, like the week before Billy Graham actually uh, passed away. But uh, nonetheless, uh, this is a, it's a, the reason we title that it we title it that way is because David G is kind of a a mix between Billy Graham and Ted Nugent. You'll have to go back to listen to that. But anyway, he said just listen to David G's episode Tears flowing down my eyes when he talked about his adopted son. I have a two-year-old son of my own. God bless him. Thanks again. Thank you for writing in. Mr. Dave, we'd sure do appreciate it. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up here with, uh, where's that big book? Oh, here. Um, 
Once again, AJ, thank you for writing in, uh, for uh, donating uh, on our website. I really appreciate it. Your generosity is appreciated. Um, So we want to hear from you. Tell us what you think. What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? We aim to be service. We aim to be of service, all right? Let us know how you can help. If you want to reach out to any of the guests, much like Bob here, uh, let us know what you thought. Um, make sure you send in an email, feedback at soberspeak.com. I can get that over to Bob. We welcome your thoughts and feedback. Um, and now, page 164 from the big book to close us out. It says, these are the last two paragraphs. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you to until then. Once again, Mr. Bob L., thank you for stopping by the, quote, studios of Silver Speak. Thank you, John. Bye-bye.